because today we're going to continue in our latest series entitled Mending Fences. We're continuing in this series, and as we explored last week, the truth is that we all have fences. We have fences that define the boundaries of our lives or the lack thereof. We have fences that provide access to our lives or deny it. We have fences in our lives that invite others to partake of the good in them or hide things that we don't want seen. We have fences that beautify our lives, right, the landscape of our lives, or fences that mar them with their ugliness. We have fences that open and allow us to step out. Or we have fences that are more like fortresses, fortresses that raise up our defenses and in reality keep us locked within. See, we all have fences, and the fences that we have impact the way we relate to God, they impact the way we relate to the world. They impact the way that we relate to one another, even in the body of Christ. We all have them, right? So last week I touched on a point that I want to kind of just stress for us to reflect upon. And it's this, it's that the condition of your fences can help you or hurt you. The condition of your fences, the boundaries that you set for your life, the parameters that define your life, they can help you or hurt you. But God has a good plan. He has a desire. There's a blueprint for the fences that we maintain in our lives. Listen to what Psalm 122 verses 6 and 7 tell us about that. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now this is referring not to a location, but to a people. And while this was speaking to the people of Israel back then, how many people of God do I have in the house today? All right. So guess what? This, this applies to you and I. And so it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, may those who love you be secure. Listen to this. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. See, God's purposes reveal that you and I were created to be surrounded by fences that bring us peace and security. The boundaries that you and I keep in our approach to all relationships and daily life are supposed to produce peace and security. Peace and security. So here's a question for us to consider. What's the condition of your fences? Are they helping you or are they hurting you? Right? Are they bringing peace and safety? Are they establishing security in your life? Are they bringing you the good things that God promises? See, are you hurting or are you healthy within your fences? Do you live with a sense of safety and covering within your, within your fences? Or are you hiding behind your fences because you feel uncovered and prone to exposure? Do you live with a confidence that's enveloped in God's promises within your fences? Or do you live with fences that are breached by unfulfilled hopes defined by the letdowns of life? Are you living with disappointment? See, I submit to you that that is not God's desire for your fences. If your life is defined as one who keeps away from people, keeps away from God, keeps away from the body of Christ, my friend, I have great news for you. I have truth for you. You're living with breached walls, and God wants to heal within your fences. Right? Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34, gives us an indication of some of the dangers that contribute to a life defined by broken fences. 
It starts off in verse 30 by saying, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. You know, these verses portray the tragedy that defines a life that's characterized by broken fences. And the reason why God provides us this imagery, these verses, these words, is because he wants us to do something about it. Number one, he wants us to observe it, to pay close attention to it. But he also wants us to learn from it. He wants us to learn that we are to live with strong fences, fences that protect and maintain the integrity of the promises that he gives us for life, ones of peace and security. And so today I want to invite you to take this time to allow God to enter within your fences as we look to his word and allow him to speak to us personally on the topic of behind closed doors doors behind closed doors you know the sluggard the 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 parable of the sluggard in proverbs uh, chapter 24 teaches us about the correlation uh, that exists between our fences which is our outer life what people what we allow people to see and what we do outwardly and it and the connection between what happens behind closed doors which is our inner life It's the unseen life by people. See, the truth is that we all have an inner life. We all have a life behind closed doors. It's where we think and express our truest thoughts. Wow, it got real quiet. Come on now, don't shout me down. I'm preaching good here, right? It's where we do what we wouldn't do before others. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, many years ago when my wife and I first started out, we were newly married and we were, we were disagreeing about something. I don't know what it was, but this was one of those disagreements that went on for days, right? And, and, and it was one of those disagreements where, you know, I just felt I'm right, you're wrong, and you need to get with it, right? But, you know... What I also recall, I don't remember what the issue was, but I I do recall that my responses to her and my attitude towards her, my behavior was less than becoming of a Christian, right? Not just my actions, but my words. Listen, you don't have to tell on yourself. I tell on myself, right? I've been there. We do that sometimes, right? But the thing about it is that my wife said something to me on one of those days while we were going through this that really kind of got me thinking. She says to me, how come you don't talk like this to people at church? She says, how come you don't talk like this to our neighbors or to our friends? How come you don't talk like this in front of pastor? Right? How come? How come you talk to me like that? How come you think it's okay to act that way with me? And what I realized was that there was a disconnect between my inner life and my outer life. See, we all have a life behind closed doors. 
And if we're not careful, like the sluggard, we too will slowly head down a path of negligence that leads us to our lives becoming overgrown with weeds and thorns and overrun by the enemy due to the breaching of our fences, the ones which we're called to maintain with Christ. And so last week we gained some insight into how the walls of Israel came to destruction. We learned that the breaching of their walls began by their own resistance, the resistance that Israel had to God's wisdom. The scriptures showed us that they mocked his messengers, that they scoffed at his prophets. And we have to consider a question. How could they, why did they get to this place? How how did this happen? What was happening behind the doors of their lives that led to their open rejection of God and ultimately the breaching of the walls of their hearts? And the first chapter of Nehemiah provides us insight. Upon hearing of the condition that existed in Israel, we find in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 3 what Nehemiah hears. It says, they say, it says that he said, they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, remember, captivity, the remnant of, of the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. I'd like to draw your attention to the condition that the people of Israel were in when Nehemiah heard about the breaching of these walls. Now, he was aware of it having happened. Scholars estimate that it was about 20 years that had gone by since the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem when Nehemiah got roused up by the Lord to do something about it. So they had been in this condition for a while. But I want you to consider a couple of things that we see about their condition. The scriptures tell us that they were in captivity. Now, I'm going to be a Bible geek here and just enlighten you to some of the Hebrew. The the term captivity here means one who is imprisoned, one who is exiled. That's obvious outwardly. But this word also gives us some deeper, uh, 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 deeper insight into what actually was going on. Because this word also means to be in a state of being taken by one's circumstances. In other words... They were living according to the circumstances that were happening around them for years. This became a way of life. The Hebrew also refers to the word affliction, and what it means is a state of evil. It means a state of sadness and unhappiness, but it's also, uh, it also alludes to a place of disagreement. And so there was division among these people. And then the scripture tells us in Nehemiah 1.3 that they were in reproach. They were in a state of scorn, of shame and disgrace. And so this was the condition of their lives after the breaking down of their fences. But my friends, I submit to you that this condition did not come as a result of the destruction that they had suffered at the hands of the Babylonians. As we began to learn last week, this was already in existence prior to the breaching of their walls. Listen to Nehemiah 1, 6, and 7. It reveals to us 
uh, what was going on prior to the breaching of their walls as recorded in Nehemiah's prayer. Starting at verse 6, Nehemiah says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Listen to this. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you've commanded your servant Moses. And so what we see is that Nehemiah starts off with a a, a prayer before the Lord that acknowledges their sinfulness, their deviance. But then he gets to the heart of the matter when he states that they have acted very corruptly against God. The word corruptly there means to spoil. It means to offend. It means to destroy. It means to bring to ruin and brokenness. It also means to withhold or to twist and distort. See, the people of Israel were captive. They were afflicted. And they were living in reproach before the Babylonians arrived. You know why? Because to everyone else, and even among themselves, they carried the appearance of godliness. But within their walls, behind closed doors, these people were a mess. I want us to consider the words of Jesus regarding this in Matthew 23, 25 through 26. Everybody say, I love Pastor Jose. All right, I'm so glad. You ready for this? Remember you said you love me. These are the words of Jesus, not my words. Matthew 23, starting at verse 25, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Now, Jesus, Jesus was addressing people of God. They weren't necessarily following him. They weren't necessarily really pursuing God. It, they gave the appearance of it, but they were still chosen people of God like you and I. And what we see is that he, he's addressing a people of God that had a distorted view of the truth. They believed in God outwardly, and everyone believed that they believed in God according to their appearance, according to their actions, but inwardly, they were neglecting the truth. See, according to the words of Jesus, we learn something. We see that when we lie outwardly, right, it's telling of the truth that comes out behind closed doors. I'm going to say that again because we've got to consider that. When we lie outwardly, when we present deception outwardly, right? When we give the appearance of godliness, but it doesn't match the life behind our closed doors, it's really telling of the truth that comes out behind closed doors. Because listen, if we're being hypocrites, right, the truth is this. 
that it tells the truth about what's really happening when nobody else sees it. So the only person that we're deceiving is ourselves, right? Now, if your life behind closed doors does not match the life you portray with your fences, it tells you and I the truth. Jesus calls it hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. He calls it hypocrisy. And listen, this is not to condemn anyone. You know, this is actually great news because get this. If at this moment we're connecting with the reality that our outward life doesn't match our inward life, what we're seeing is that God is shedding light on the truth. And guess what? When you know the truth, Jesus said, then you can be free. It's not okay to live a double standard. But listen, once you see the truth and you recognize it, here's the great thing about it. You can walk in freedom. We can turn around, right? So before you continue in your attempts to beautify the outward appearance of your fence, make sure that your life is beautified within your fence behind closed doors, right? Isn't that good? That's good, that's good, that's good information. That's good truth, right? So for the next couple of moments that I have here, I'd like to take us deeper to look behind some of the doors of our lives that we have a tendency to hide behind so that we can allow God to step in and help us. I don't know about you, but from the very beginning, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of precluding to, to another message in this series But God, from the beginning, wanted transparency with his people. And it was when we hid that it became a problem. That's free. you got to chew on that. We'll dig more into that another time, right? So here's the thing. The first door I want to talk to you about is the door of your heart. The door of your heart. The scriptures say that the people of Israel were a people that suffered from hardness in their hearts. Jesus said that they were a people that honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far off. These people were prone to error and sinfulness often because they compartmentalized their devotion to God, which eventually led them to stray away. In other words, God wasn't, God was a part of their life, but he wasn't a part of their whole life. Here's a good question to ask yourself. Do you serve God in pieces? Do you seek God in pieces? Or is he the entire picture for your life? Right? That's, that's a good question to ask ourselves. And so that's the reason why Jesus tells us in Luke 10, 27, love the Lord your God with how much? All your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You know what we see here? You can't give Jesus a piece of your life and expect to reap a whole one. We're either all in or we're not in at all. We're either devoted to God or we're not. Right? So is Jesus a part of your life? Or is he the sum total of your life? Right? Is it all about him? Right? See, David was a man 
whom God testified was a man after his heart. David the murderer, David the liar, David the cheater, David the disobedient one. That David, that David, the David whom God said, through your line I will establish my Savior that will come to pass in this earth. That David, that David was a man who God said was a man after his heart. See, David was a man who maintained close proximity to God by what he did behind the door of his heart. That doesn't mean that his actions didn't deviate from his heart at times. They did. He made many mistakes. But David kept close in that place of his heart. See, if we're to aspire to do the same, we would be wise to follow David's example in Psalm 119, starting at verse 9. It says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? How can you purify your life? How can you establish the path ahead of you with God? How can you cleanse with God? How can you allow God to show you a better way? Listen, never mind the tension you're navigating. Never mind the issues you have. Not that they're not important. But God wants you and I to play a part in this process of walking in this pure, in this good, in this new way of life. And the answer to that, David says, is by living according to your word. That word living there in the Hebrew speaks of one who is constantly on guard. He's a watchman at a door. And he's referring to his heart. So he says, by living according to your word, he says, I seek you with all my heart. That word seek there in the, in the Hebrew means to frequent. It means to consult. It means to resort to, to turn to with care. Listen to what David says. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What we see is that David lived on guard according to God's word. He guarded his heart. He did that by frequently consulting and resorting and turning to God's word for the care of everything concerning his life's matters. In other words, David incorporated God's word in every area of his life. Listen, in his decisions, he incorporated. In his relationships, in the midst of conflicts, in the midst of challenges. And though he made many mistakes, what we see is this, that David had a track record that helped him for the rest of his race in life. Why do I say that? Notice how he starts these verses. He says, how does a young man purify his life? In other words, David had been doing this for a long time. This was a practice. This was a discipline. This was a way of life. But what I love about it is that this way of life drew him near to God. He kept close to God, which leads me to an important point. And it's this. It's that distance from God's word is dangerous. I'm going to say that again. Distance from God's word is dangerous. I'm going to tell you this right now. Do not fool yourself. The further away you keep from God's word, from devotion to his word, from study to his word, 
the further you will drift in a direction opposite from your relationship with God. You can count on that. You can count on that. See, just like the human heart needs connection to the body in order to function, we, children of God, need a deep and personal connection to God. Everyone, whether you believe in Christ or not, we all long for this deep and personal connection to God, to his word. Our hearts crave it. Listen, your heart, your belief was built to be based upon God's word. The thing is, do we go there? Let me ask you a question. Is that the way your life is constructed? If it's not, you're like the person on a boat who's drifting and doesn't realize how far off you've gone from your center. It's dangerous. You're drifting. And here's the worst thing about drifting. You don't even realize it. Wake up. Somebody needs to hear that. See, to separate yourself, yeah, I mean, that, that is good news. That really is good news. See, to separate yourself from God's word by way of distance is a short path to death and decay in your everyday life. So let me encourage you with something. Instead of looking casually to God's word and casually hearing it, let me encourage you to become a student of God's word. Become a student. You know, I, I hear often, Pastor, how, where, where do you begin? Where do you start? What do you do? I do the same thing you can do. I read God's word. But I also do something else, which leads me to the next door that I want to talk to you about. It's the door of your thoughts. The door of your thoughts. Think about this. Our thought life is powerful, both for the good and the bad. Our thoughts are the place of conception to all things in life by way of our imagination. I want you to think about that, and let me take you to Scripture for that. You know, there's a portion, uh, there's a point in Scripture that records in Genesis 11 where the people of the earth were growing increasingly wicked in the beginning years. And it got to a point where people one day went, man, We've got a great idea. Let's build a tower. Let's build a building that goes so high that it touches the sky. That way when people see this building, they will see how great we are. And the scriptures reveal that God looked upon what they were doing. He's, and he saw the confu- the, 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 uh, how wicked man was becoming, and so he confused their language so that he could deter them from getting to this point. But Genesis eleven six tells us how this wickedness came about. Listen to verse 6. And the Lord said, I'm reading from the King James Version, it says, the Lord said, behold, the people is one, and they have all one language in the original Hebrew, it's speaking of unity amongst them. They were all of one mindset. It wasn't just language. And it goes on to say, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them. Watch this. Which they have imagined to do. 
they have imagined to do. See, day in and day out, we face thousands, we have thousands of thoughts that flow in our minds. Isn't that true? Right? But some of them we allow to go to the place of imagination. It's more than a thought. It's an experience. It's a reality. And here's the thing about our imagination. Here's the thing about our thoughts. You know, that word imagination, they imagined in Hebrews 11.6, speaks of purpose. It speaks of one who devises and plans, one who constructs, one who builds. See, you may not do it yet, but if you stay in that place long enough, you will eventually give life to it, what we imagine. So let me ask you this. Are you conscious of your thought life? Are you actually considering where your thoughts are? And are you even considering what you're beginning to imagine according to it? Let me just ask you this way. What you do with your thoughts, are they good enough for us to hear publicly? Would you be willing to plug an HDMI cable to your brain and let us see what you're seeing? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 tells us something. It says, the weapons of our warfare are not physical. Weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought and purpose. That's literally speaking of imaginations. We're taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Listen, imaginations are simply images that begin to grow in the recesses of our mind because we entertain them. They steadily begin to exalt themselves above the thoughts that God's word produces in our minds. See, if you're to guard the fence of your life, you must be ready behind the doors of your mind to engage in warfare. And to do this, to guard our fences, you must first be armed with true knowledge from God's word and develop your imagination according to God's word. You know, it's interesting, but Paul speaks of weapons. But he's not speaking of weapons that they're striving to attain. He's speaking of weapons that they already have. And that tells us something. Paul had matured in his thought life to the extent that when a rogue imagination arose, he already had the means to destroy it. Why? Because Paul didn't just hear that God loved him. Paul was a man who was seasoned in his thought life and considered what that love meant. He considered that God's love would protect him. He considered that God's love assured him that he remained a child of God. When problems came, he understood 
that there is a greater one within him than he or anything else that comes against him in this world. He had allowed that those words to mature into pictures, into thoughts, into imaginations. And so when a problem came up, when pressure came towards him, when everything was going to bit and pieces in his life, Paul was able to stand because he had already developed his thought life. See, don't wait for a problem to arise for you to look to God's word. Instead, we are called to stay in the place of readiness by becoming a student of God's word so that when a vain imagination arises, you know the truth with which to pull it down and arrest it. Your thoughts, my friends, our thoughts are our responsibility. Oh, God, just let it be that today, you know, my mind is renewed. Keep waiting. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. He has given you and I his word. And according to that word and those promises, we are called to renew our minds. And thereby experience transformation. Man, that's good news. So your thoughts, our thoughts are our responsibility. And if you're going to win behind the doors of your mind, you must accept the study of God's word as your responsibility. Can I just say this in truth and love? It is not my job to be God to speak in your life. My job is to point you to the word of God, but your job is to take the word of God for yourself. And to be a steward of that word. To be a workman who shows himself approved, rightly learning to divide the word of truth. Don't look to a pastor. Don't look to a building. Don't look to a denomination. Don't look to your favorite preacher. Don't look to what you see on social media to get a word from God. It's secondhand. God wants to speak to you and I personally. You can, you can stay in that place where you have confidence. Man, I'm with God and God is with me. Great. Awesome. It's the truth. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But you will miss your purpose. You will miss your calling. You will miss the opportunity to grow and mature. You will miss the opportunity to make an impact. You will miss what God has called you to do, the good works that he predestined for you from the beginning of time. Don't miss what God has for you by missing his word daily. The next door that I want to share with you is the door of your world. Door of your world. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. We all have this door. It's the one that defines in our hearts and in our minds how we perceive and believe in all matters that pertain to the world we live in. This door defines how we interpret our role in this world. Listen, the problems that exist behind this door are, are that we allow the ways and opinions of the world to override the ways and the truth 
of God's Word. How you view this world, how you relate to this world, cannot be based on anything but a biblical view. A biblical view. I know that's challenging because guess what? When you begin to interpret life and proceed in life according to the word, you can bet your bottom dollar you are going to go against the grain. Welcome to a life with God. You're going to ruffle feathers. You're not going to fit in oftentimes. You're going to be looked at as the oddball. Guess what? Be weird. Be weird. See, if the news, if popular culture, and I'm going to speak directly to you, church, at the bridge, and whoever's joining us, whether you're here as a visitor or online, listen, if the shoe fits, don't wear it, change it. But let me speak directly to you because this is a plague in the body of Christ. There are too many believers that are believing the news, believing popular culture, believing the norms, and believing political correctness. And listen, if the news, if popular culture, if the norms of this world, if political correctness trumps what God's word says, you are not only in this world, you are a part of it. You're a part of it. See, if we're to maintain strong fences, we have to have stronger, a stronger defense to what informs our worldview. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's a pagan god. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God has, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Now, let me just bring clarity to this for a moment. The Bible does not teach us to hate, to tear down, or to reject people that do not believe in Christ. That is not what this is saying. In fact, it's telling us, it's teaching us that we are not to be yoked to them. That word yoke there is interesting. See, when you yoke yourself to people who oppose a biblical worldview, you allow yourself to be influenced as opposed to being the influencer. You go from becoming, from being the light to participating with darkness. Listen, when we yoke ourselves to people that oppose a biblical worldview, we're no longer led by our beliefs in Christ. We're led by the beliefs and the popular opinion and the norms of this world. And thereby, here's the scary part. We are actually in opposition to God. See, therefore, God calls us 
to come out from under the yoke, to come out from among them. Listen, you can love people. You can encourage people. You can be in relationship with people, but that doesn't mean you can't be yoked to people. And here's the truth, that when you're unequally yoked, when you're yoked with the wrong people, with the wrong belief systems, it takes you to a path of destruction. You will find yourself where I found myself many times as a young man saying, oh God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for your mercy. But guess what? God was covering me and helping me, but I was going deeper further, faster, farther into wickedness. And at some point, that was going to catch up to me, and it almost did. I am not supposed to be here today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not. So you see, let me just encourage your heart. You have no business yoking yourself to views, to opinions, to ways that oppose the truth of God's word. No business. No opportunity for that. This is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Isn't that great news? The last point that I want to leave you with here today is I want to talk to you about the door of your home. I know, I know. You might as well say it. Ooh. Let me ask you some questions. Does your life outside your home match your life within your home? Does your faith lead you beyond your search for God? And bring God into the affairs in your home? Does your Christian walk continue into your home or do you check it at the door? Do you check it at this door when you leave here? Sobering questions, challenging questions, I get it. But you see, there's a reason why I'm proposing these questions to us all. It's because God wants you and I to have strong fences. God wants our lives to be embraced and enveloped in security and peace. His goodness, His blessing. And you know, oftentimes, we disconnect what we do behind our doors from who we are as children of God. And that's wrong. God doesn't just want to minister to you when you come to this building. God doesn't just want to touch your finances and your your business and your workplace and people that you're in relationship with. God wants to start behind the walls of your home. Right there. See, what good is it to have beautiful fences if you have a home in ruins? 
Listen to Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. See, you and I, we're building something. We're building something. The question is, are we including the master builder? Because if we're not, we're doing it in vain. It's empty. It's void. It's useless. It says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards watch in vain. You and I are the guards. We stand at the door of our homes and our lives. But if we're not including God and we're not bringing him behind the doors of our homes, the scripture says everything we're watching out for, everything we're doing is void. It's useless. See, before you and I endeavor to build our fences for everyone to see, we need to make sure that we're making way for God to be a part of the process of building our homes. Otherwise, what you're building and guarding within your beautiful fences is empty. Listen, you're living a lie. You're living a lie. I leave you with this closing scripture. Joshua 24 Verse 15, Joshua, at the latter part of his years, is addressing the people of Israel. And he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself, for yourselves this day whom you will serve. See, it's your choice. It's my choice. Whether the gods of your ancestors, that, uh, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But then Joshua says this, but as for me, me and my house, my household. See, he said my household. See, in my house, he's saying, this is what we do. These are the parameters for my home. Joshua understood his responsibility to God. See, you are responsible to God for what happens in your home. And if things are going wayward in your home, can I give you a piece of advice? A dose of reality? You allowed it to begin with. So like the people of Israel whom Joshua addressed, it's up to you and I to choose whom we will serve. It's up to you to set guidelines that create strong fences and create safety and security and protection in your home. That doesn't mean it's going to come without challenges. Can I, say, can I say something to you parents? You don't have to consult your children as to if they will serve in their community, if they go to church, or if they hear the word. Let me tell you why. They're not God. You're accountable to God. Let me speak to you, young people, because I understand the tension that you navigate. I've been through it. We've all been through it. Being young and serving the Lord is harder than ever before. It is so hard, man. The cards are stacked. The deck is stacked against you. You're ridiculed. You're put down. You're looked down upon. You're shunned. You're shamed because you choose to do what's right. Nobody wants to be rejected. I get that. God understands that. 
But let me say something to you, young people. Because you're living in a world that is fighting you every step of the way. If you will not hold your defenses, if you will not stand for what is right, you will find that great will be your fall. I did it. I was there. Let me be very transparent with you. I'm supposed to be dead. I'm not supposed to be here. And I was living a lie for so long behind the doors of my home. My mom did her best, but it got to a point where she couldn't control me. And I did what I wanted. You know what I did? I left home. I left home and I said, I'm going to live in the streets. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to get money. I'm going to hang with who I want. So I'm going to do whatever I want. You know what? I did that. I did it well. So good that I didn't see who I was in partnership. I burned bridges with family. I burned bridges in my confidence with God. It wasn't that God left me. But I really believed that I was on my way to hell and God didn't love me anymore. I was deceived. It got so bad that I was like that young prodigal in Luke 15. I was having dinner with pigs. And I didn't even realize that my life stank. What you do in your home matters. What you allow and listen, for you at home, young people, you're responsible for your life. I get it. You're still growing up. Your parents still hold. They're accountable to God. They're responsible. But you are also responsible because you have the power of choice. Choose life. Somebody needs to hear this. Choose life, not death. And I mean that in the spiritual sense. And somebody really needs to hear this in the physical sense. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.